Hey everybody, this is your virtual liturgy for Sunday, March 22nd, and this time it's coming from Lincoln City, where we have been quarantined at a previously scheduled beach retreat that took on a different shape because of the coronavirus. It was meant to be um, a party with a bunch of Elliot's friends for his 13th birthday Um, But it's been just us, the Prentices, and we've enjoyed our time away. But I got to say that I do miss all of you, and I hope that you are doing well. And um, I'm praying for each of you uh, and for our church daily. I'm going to walk us through um, a partial liturgy, and you can use the bulletin that Uh, Matt sent a few moments ago uh, if you want to walk through it uh, with um, a guide. Um, I won't be doing all of it, but I think you'll be able to follow along. So let's start with prayer. The Lord be with all of you. God, we are the most important people on earth in our own minds. We move through our world in times of peace and times of trauma, thinking, how does this affect me? How will I get through this? These are normal human questions, but would you give us, your people, those who worship a God of empathy, the ability to turn our minds, our hearts, our actions toward those who are not us, to those who suffer like us, and to those who suffer more than us. Let all of us who suffer in these days and in the near future remember those whose lives are accustomed to this kind of fear, to regular food insecurity, to the lack of proper health care, to vulnerability, to disease as an ongoing daily experience that we in the developed world are now coming to understand in acute ways. This understanding does not, and you do not, minimize our pain. We merely pray that this present crisis would grant us us a measure of sympathy with our brothers and sisters whose lives are more constantly marked by hardship and poverty and sickness all around the world. We here in the so-called developed world, we think ourselves masters of fate, invulnerable, able to control our worlds, and we are now being brought to our knees by something so tiny that it's not even visible to the naked eye and invisible even to many microscopes. Suddenly, we're deeply afraid. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. We don't want our loved ones to die. And in this place of forced humility, would you Reach out to us with your unfolding grace. Would you take hold of our hands and lead us? Would you comfort us? Would you guide us? Would you provide for our needs? As we are isolated from our friends at InTown and their provision of embodied comfort and community, would you meet us in unusual and unexpected ways? And would you prompt us to reach out to one another with creativity and consistency? And would you allow your church to be a source of care to its people in a manner that we couldn't have, that we wouldn't have 
thought of two weeks ago. And let us hear your voice saying, as you did to Levi in our gospel passage those many years ago, follow me. Follow me into uncertainty, into the unknown, into the world's pain with the healing grace of the gospel. Deliver us from all fear that we may live in peace and quietness and hope through the mercies of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. If you're listening, would you pause the audio for just a moment and pray for another encounter? Would you pray by name for someone you know and for someone you don't know yet, a person that maybe you've seen sitting in a particular part of the sanctuary that you haven't met? Would you pray for these people's well-being, for their comfort, for their safety? Would you take a minute or two and do that? and then press play again. Let us now enter into a short time of confession. This is Psalm 130, verse 1 through 2, and this is in the bulletin. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I'm going to pray a sentence of the confession that's printed in the bulletin and then provide a short pause for you to repeat that portion of the confession. And then at the end, I'll pause. why don't you pause the audio and take a moment to confess your sins privately. God, have mercy on us in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Take a moment and pause the audio and confess your sins privately. And this is our assurance of forgiveness from Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. May the peace of Christ be with you. And now our gospel reading from Mark 2, verse 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. There are certain jobs that are so universally despised that only a few people with incredibly tough skin can imagine themselves doing. Parking enforcement, putting those awful, annoying yellow tickets on the windshields of cars that are overparked for five minutes longer. Maybe a tow truck driver that is charged with towing cars that have been left parked somewhere for too long. Working internal affairs in police departments, universally despised jobs, or collecting taxes. The Beatles actually wrote a song about the last one on their revolver record. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. I love that line. Well, Levi was a tax man. He most likely collected taxes for Herod Antipas, who was one of the three sons of Herod the Great, and who, when his father died, inherited the area surrounding Capernaum, where Jesus was now living. And when the area that was once governed, governed by one king was divided three ways, people now had to pay taxes to travel between them when they hadn't before. Now, taxes are, of course, despised in general, but everyone hates new taxes. And Levi was likely responsible for collecting these. Maybe it was the only job he could get, or maybe he liked being the narc, the hall monitor, Either way, he was the face of taxation and thus utterly detested. Now, imagine the confusion, the rage, the resentment when Jesus says that he has come to build a new spiritual movement around people like Levi. The Pharisees and the experts in the law were particularly incensed. It's not that they were jealous or wished that they were chosen instead. It's that they couldn't begin to imagine a religious movement whose boundaries were so porous, so indiscriminate, and whose leaders not only had zero theological training, but this movement was a holiness movement built around 
the most unholy people that Jesus could have possibly found. Jesus' selection criteria weren't merely too lax, but he seemed to go out of his way to include society's most notorious and conspicuous sinners. Now imagine this calling from Levi's perspective. Imagine the daily scorn, the anger, the belly aching from travelers that Levi would have heard on a daily basis. You can picture him responding, well, don't blame me. I don't make the rules, but he's the person on the ground. He's the face of these taxes. And tax collectors were notorious for enriching themselves by collecting more than was required. So even though he's treated like dirt on an hourly basis, it's difficult to have sympathy for the man. He's getting rich working for the man. Well, then up walks Jesus, and he doesn't complain or grumble. He doesn't get angry or call Levi names. Perhaps unlike anyone else that Levi is accustomed to dealing with, Jesus treats him with dignity, with warmth. Jesus treats him like a human being, and more than that, he invites him into a new movement of spiritual care, into a new way of being human. In fact, he invites him into a new kingdom. And in an instant, Levi transfers his allegiance from the one who thought himself king of the Jews, Herod, to the one who Mark de- declares is its actual king, Jesus. And this new king who will come to be anointed in the most upside-down, backwards way that anyone could imagine. He does not reign from on high in a palace, sending his functionaries around Israel to extort crippling taxes from his citizens. But Jesus is a king who walks the dirty streets of Capernaum, healing those with physical ailments, paralysis, leprosy, and yes, as we saw a few weeks ago, fever. But he also brought healing to people like Levi, who aren't sick in the traditional sense, but who needed healing as social and religious outcast. Jesus not only makes room for these kinds of people, but he anoints them as leaders. The most unlikely, the most despised, the most characteristically unworthy, unholy people, these are the people that become not only members, but leaders, caregivers in his kingdom. You see, his kingdom is a kingdom of care. It's a kingdom of concern for others. Jesus' calling is to sick people everywhere with sicknesses of all kinds. And so people like Levi aren't merely healed and included themselves, but are tasked with bringing variants of their healing to others. They are called to bring care and concern to everyone who is unholy, unworthy, unlikely, just like they were. They're called to bring the healing presence of Jesus to people 
who are not only sick, but who do not even believe that they are worthy of healing. Jesus' calling of Levi shows us that God doesn't typically make his home among the healthy and the wealthy, the powerful and the well, but among people like Levi, people like you and I, among people who are suffering or scared or sickened by things in this world that are beyond their control. And, and this is where Jesus' kingdom of concern is so different from every other kingdom. It's that it includes and it gives care even the, to those who are suffering or scared or sickened by things that they themselves have chosen. One of my oldest and dearest friends has been a prosthetist for 20 years. He develops relationships of care with people who need to have limbs amputated. Sometimes these people are victims of inconceivable accidents, sometimes diseases that they bear no responsibility for, but often people are having a leg or legs amputated because of decades of self-neglect. And they've developed adult-onset diabetes, and their lower extremities have become beyond repair. My friend is an incredible caregiver. He befriends these people. He goes to their surgery so that the surgeon does the surgery in a way that provides the best possible outcome for the future prosthetic. And he then fabricates the new artificial limb and helps the patient over many weeks and months learn how to use it to walk again. The interesting thing about my friend, among other things, is that he's an amputee. You see, a few years ago, he went to a doctor for a painful lump in his foot, and he received a diagnosis of one of the most rare and incurable cancers in the world, a cancer that begins in your extremities. So he had to go through the very surgery and rehab that his patients do. As it turns out, there are a lot of prosthetists who were amputees before they started their training. And you can imagine why they might be interested in this kind of career. But my friend has yet to meet another person who became an amputee after they were already a prosthetist. Imagine what it must be like for someone facing a terrifying surgery in which a doctor is going to remove one of their limbs. And also imagine the indignity that they must feel if they come to the doctor knowing that they themselves are at least partially or maybe fully responsible for their need of surgery because of their own lack of self-care. They're wondering if they'll ever be able to walk again, much less work and return to normal life. They come in wishing they had made life changes many years ago that would have prevented the kind of surgery that they now need. They come in probably carrying around untold amounts of guilt and remorse and self-reproach. 
and then their caregiver who's going to walk them through this scary ordeal. He walks into their first consultation on an artificial leg. What must it be like for someone facing an amputation to be cared for by a fellow amputee? To know that their primary caregiver has gone through exactly what they are about to. If you were a social religious outcast like Levi, unable to believe that anyone could love you, could include you, that your life could ever really matter or that you could create something beautiful, who better to walk you toward healing than someone like Levi who's had those very same thoughts and experiences, but who has also found healing in Jesus' words, follow me. Who could be any more comforting than a healer who has needed healing themselves? Caregivers who know what it's like to be desperately sick. That is Levi, and that is you, and that's me. And who better to walk us through not only these kinds of self-doubts and social exclusion, but physical suffering, religious injustice, poverty, and homelessness, metaphorical or real, and sickness. Who better than a God who has experienced all of it? A king who has suffered all of life's indignities and its worst injustices. Jesus' kingdom was designed to flourish not only among people who are suffering through no fault of their own, like much of our world at this very moment, sickened by something almost entirely outside of our control or prevention, but also his kingdom is designed to flourish among those of us who know our suffering is due in part or in whole to our own bad choices and sin. What kind of God is this who seems to prefer the most desperately lost and broken people he could possibly find? Maybe that's just the kind of people he likes to hang out with. As he went along, Mark tells us, he saw Levi sitting at the toll booth and he said, follow me. And that's how Jesus came to be sitting at home with lots of tax collectors and sinners. Such a profoundly beautiful, world-altering sentence. And maybe these aren't merely the kinds of people that Jesus prefers to hang out with, but these are the kinds of people who will make his church soft and welcoming and beautiful to others who are suffering. Could there be any better caregiver than one who doesn't stand over you in purity, in perfect health, with all the right friends, but a savior who suffers, a doctor with wounds. That is the kind of God who can walk with all of us through these perilous times and invites you to follow him. Let's pray. Father, be with us all. 
Would you sit with us in our discomfort? Would you sit with us in our illness? I pray that you would prevent this virus from infecting uh, those of us particularly that gather it in town. Uh, Not that we are special, but these are the people, these are my loved ones that are in my uh, orbit of care. And so I pray for them. I pray for health. I pray for healing. I pray for comfort. And I pray that in ways that we can't even imagine now that you would help us to be creative in thinking about ways we might care for one another and care for others in our community during these difficult times. God, I pray that your son Jesus would come and sit with us in our suffering and our pain and on our sickness. And we pray in his name. Amen.